You're listening to the Everyday Herbals Podcast, Episode 9. Welcome back for part two of my interview with Jonathan Treasure. Today we finish our conversation from last week about herbs for cancer. If you haven't listened to part one yet, please make sure to go back and listen to that episode first. Today's episode, we focus on cannabis for cancer. So what makes cannabis stand out from the other herbs for cancer? Um, that again is a, is is a good question because if it hadn't if cannabis had not been subject to all the social political and legal um, and cultural kind of uh, shenanigans that have gone on it would probably be just another really good herb for cancer and many other things including as as most people probably know you know uh, neurological seizures in uh, kids and so on um it is a, it, it's a great herb because it does a lot of the things that good herbs in my toolkit, uh, the multitaskers, it does a lot of things that the multitaskers do. Um, so, for example, you know, many cancer patients will experience pain. Well, cannabis is good for pain. Many uh, cancer patients who get into an advanced situation will experience uh, wasting or what's called cachexia in cancer, um, where the cancer literally starts taking the nutrients from the body. Um, this was first proven by uh, Dr. Don Abrams, Donald Abrams at UCSF with HIV patients, one of the earliest successful trials in the States um, of, of using cannabis for HIV cachexia or wasting disease. So the, the munches that people get from cannabis, that is the stimulation of appetite that counteracts cachexia, cancer cachexia. So we have pain, we have the cachexia, we have um, the fact that it uh, prevents nausea and vomiting induced by chemotherapy, very, very common. So right there, you have sort of three entirely independent um, reasons why cannabis is good in cancer. And these are accepted by, by the medical these are proven by medical data. And then we have all of the really exciting information that suggests that uh, cannabis can actually have anti-tumor effects, particularly against some of those cancers that we are currently lacking good treatments for. And that would be um, the brain tumor we already mentioned, the GBM, um, pancreatic cancer, um, to some extent, some lung cancers. Um, hard to treat cancers. We know that, that cannabis can affect more common cancers such as breast and prostate cancer. Does that mean we should use it as a first-line treatment for those cancers? I'm sort of less convinced about that because there's also a lot that we don't know about uh, cannabis in cancer treatment. Currently, we can't easily measure whether a tumor has cannabinoid receptors or not. And in some cases, tumors have a lot of cannabinoid receptors. Does that mean 
we should use cannabis or not? Well, we don't even know that. We know that in some cases, tumors with a lot of cannabinoid receptors are more aggressive than ones with less, fewer cannabinoid receptors. Um, is is cancer a, a can, cannabinoid deficiency disease? No, it's much more complex than that. So really, we don't have a huge amount of concrete information to go on, but all the signs are there. Oh, the other obvious thing about cannabis is that it's an immune-modulating herb. So it does actually enhance different aspects of the immune system in an anti-cancer direction, including a very interesting thing called autophagy, where cannabis in, makes cells um, digest themselves. They kind of commit suicide by self-digestion, autophagy, which is distinct from apoptosis, which is the normal way that cancer cells uh, are, are killed by chemo agents. So it's an exciting herb, and it's a multifactorial herb that has many different uses. Um, what is needed is a lot more research to try and understand exactly what mixes of, you know, what kinds of cannabis are good for what kinds of cancer. And that is, that, that's the area where we really need uh, data that we haven't got. Um, well, what, are there certain varieties of cannabis that work better than others? I'm, um, I'm a pretty, uh, I think a bit of a lone voice. I'm, I'm not entirely sure about this, about strains and varieties. I think we have to look at the ingredients of each plant, uh, each strain. Um, there's been some recent work which really, uh, what we call, you know, when evolutionary biologists start looking at DNA, they come up with a lot of um, conclusions that sometimes change pretty standard conceptions. One of these is the standard idea in cannabis uh, botany, as well as cannabis consumption and what we could call canaculture in a popular sense, is that sativa and indica are two the two main species which are pretty different both anatomically and in terms of their effects. Um, and you will find the popular literature and every dispensary um, retail assistant or associate or whatever you get called if you work in a dispensary these days, um, <clears throat> the, um, the baristas of the dispensaries, um, they are, are likely to talk in terms of, can, of sativa versus indica. Uh, in actual fact, um, th this is not a, a hard and fast distinction. Um, there really is a continuum um, of cannabis plants, and the way to make sense of the continuum is uh, by looking at the ingredients, and that has to be done by testing. Um, and testing means more than, oh, yeah, man, I just tested it out the back. It was great. Um, testing means actually firstly making sure it's clean and pure, uh, no, you know, no, no pesticides, no, no fungicides, no uh, additives, contaminants, and um, mold and bacteria um, with, when you're talking about dried plant, and also testing to profile the THC 
CBD, the other cannabinoids, and of course the terpenes. And the terpenes, we know that the whole plant consists of, you know, many, many terpenes, many, many cannabinoids. And generally speaking, there's been a focus on THC and CBD. Um, and strains, I think the whole thing about strains is misleading. I, I, from a patient point of view, I'm well aware that many very experienced um, cannabis, recreational cannabis users, you know, it's kind of like wine snobs discussing Bordeaux varieties and vintages and so on. The, the, the minute nuances that come from having different terpene profiles are um, of significance to people looking for very nuanced distinctions in, in the kind of high that they get from their material. But if you're a patient, what you're concerned about primarily is CBD, THC, what ratio, and is it clean material? Um, the terpenes should, the terpenes are definitely active. Um, if you're looking at concentrates of uh, cannabis strains, um, terpenes tend to be less important than the THC CBD ratio. And I'm trying to get people with medical needs to, to realize that the recreational market is not really serving them. You know, you can talk about AK-47, et cetera, whatever fancy name these strains have. They don't really mean much. They all tend to vary. There's no official definition of a strain. Um, there's lots of informal stuff and there's lots of um, baloney. You know, there's lots of people claiming this is Charlotte's Web, this is ACDC, and uh, you test it out and it's not. So it's it's a very tricky area. Um, and I think for patients, the big thing is, yes, what is in your cannabis is really important, um, but you need to establish that by testing rather than simply uh, going by a strain name that may be... Um, have nothing to do with anything. You said that people should be looking um, for cannabis with THC in it, right? So is that the active constituent in it, or can you take it without THC? Well, again, I quote Michael Moore, you know, the, 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 the active principle is the whole plant. That was another of Michael's great um, aphorisms. And um, I think it's absolutely true of uh, cannabis, um, uh, Dr. Ethan Rousseau um, has has written extensively about this. He's called it the entourage effect. It's what herbalists would call the synergy of the whole plant. Uh, so th there is really um, there is there is definitely uh, THC. Uh, THC is the psychoactive principle. Most of the other principles aren't psychoactive, even if they do bind lightly to uh, CB1 receptors. Um, and the dose of THC that is required to induce psychoactive effects is quite low. What that means, so it's, it's really, for most adults, it would be between 5 and, and 20 maximum milligrams, probably 5 and 15 would be a sensible dose range of milligrams of actual THC per dose. Um, anything over 15, you're definitely going to get psychoactive effects. 
And you compare that to CBD, you can take uh, the dose range for CBD would be at least 10 times that. Um, the problem here is that the original kind of evolutionary uh, land race plants in the wild probably had something approaching a one-to-one THC-CBD ratio. Uh, these days, um, decades of very creative uh, breeding by uh, illicit growers um, have created THC-heavy uh, plants so that we have, in, instead of that one-to-one, it's very common to have, you know, 50 to 1 THC to CBD. Um, and for people wanting to get high, that's great. Uh, if you need it as medicine, you tend to want rather more CBD. Is there a way that's best to take it? Well, I think I, most people are aware there are a bunch of ways of, of taking taking it. Um, the... The best way is for most people with a cancer uh, situation where you want to uh, work with pain or appetite, cachexia and so on, um, or control nausea and vomiting, it's best not to, to ingest by mouth in what's called a medible. I think these days is, is, is the term used for what used to be the hash brownie, but now there's many, many different uh, ways of cooking cannabis into, into edible products. The problem with the edible uh, situation is it takes up to an hour or so to come on in terms of the effects. So adjusting your dose to relieve symptoms is very difficult. And you may, of course, massively overdose and find yourself prostate on the floor when all you were trying to do was um, uh, overcome a little bit of um, appetite uh, loss. You know, so... Um, usually vaporizing um, is is a good way to go for the uh, for, uh, symptom control of uh, pain, cachexia, appetite, etc., etc., nausea and vomiting limitation. Um, and vaporizers are also particularly good uh, because they're not burning the um, uh, herb. They're particularly good for for exposing the lungs to direct impact of of uh, the cannabinoids and so in lung cancer one would definitely say vaporize it's a low temperature process that simply volatilizes <clears throat> the cannabinoids and terpenes without creating smoke heat and combustion byproducts so um, then there is oil and that is another huge topic uh, which we could again talk talk about for a long time um, the oil was originally popularized mostly by a chap called Rick Simpson. And <clears throat> Simpson's recipes, unfortunately, have passed into legend, but they are um, uh, pretty undesirable. And from any um, herbalist point of view, they're completely insane. Um, so he talks about, you know, swilling your prize bud in uh, naphtha or um, the equivalent industrial solvents to which some people have now extended that to butane. So you get the whole butane hash oil kind of uh, problem. So you use um, toxic solvents and then you um, boil those off 
And of course, these are inflammable. So a lot of people are sort of setting their houses and themselves on fire with some of these techniques. Um, and you boil those off and you're left with this kind of brown sticky mass um, that is often sold in syringes called uh, oil. What it is is actually a concentrated semi-solid. It's not an oil at all. It's not, it's, you know, by definition, it's chemically not an oil. It just looks like earwax. It's a really inconvenient uh, way of preparing the material, but it has now gripped the culture of uh, popular medicinal cannabis, um, and that is, you know, one of the things that really needs to be done away with, in my view, is this um, fairly unpleasant uh, way of producing a very hard-to-administer product which is very difficult to dose because it's kind of sticky and you can't, you can't really easily, there's no need to concentrate it that much. It could be kept as a concentrated tincture, for example, instead of a semi-solid extract. And I advise patients to dissolve, to dissolve these oil products back in um, either glycerol or um, or directly into an edible oil like olive oil um, with a little preservative, vitamin E preservative, and um, use them as a liquid uh, so that they can be dosed with a dropper because you get into serious problems with administration and dosing of these oil products. Uh, Simpson tells people to use a rice grain, whatever that might be. Um, yeah, so, so there's many ways of taking it. The edible root um, tends to be used for the concentrates because the people are taking more THC on board. Uh, and um, But it, it's not without problems. The first metabolite produced by the gut and the liver is a hydroxy metabolite of THC called 11-hydroxy uh, um, tetrahydrocannabinol. And believe it or not, uh, the 11-OH uh, metabolite of THC is a far stronger ligand for the CB1 receptors than the um, THC direct from the plant, unmodified by our metabolism. So that's one of the reasons that people can get very, very stoned by oral ingestion of THC is, is that their liver is manufacturing an even more active metabolite. So it's kind of interesting business. Yeah, because I've heard some people just like put the oil over the tumor site or something like that, but that doesn't work. Oh, you mean for skin for skin cancer? Yeah, either skin cancer or I've even heard like a brain cancer, for instance, they would just put it on their forehead or, you know, and it would just like go in through the skin. Well, they must, they must live in Sedona, Ashland, or, um, or possibly Shasta. Um, I, I, I think, uh, yeah, the concept of dabbing um, is quite well established in counterculture, but dabbing onto the forehead is something I've not, um, I wouldn't consider would be very effective. Wishful thinking, I suspect. Remember, Gooseman had to drill holes in people's skulls right. uh, to get the THC into the brain tumor, so... I think dabbing the forehead, uh, well, what do I know, you know? 
<laughs> and then, um, are there any side effects for taking cannabis for cancer? Well, people do take high doses, and and high doses of cannabis are disabling. I mean, firstly, firstly, it's very hard to take that amount of THC. Remember, remember that a dose. A good dose of THC to get high, if you will, or to manage symptoms is sort of 5 to 15 milligrams. 20 milligrams is, is on the high side, 20, 25 milligrams. And people are talking about taking a gram. So they're talking about taking massive doses, self-administered. And, and the first thing is that this can actually just completely disable you. You, you, you. I try and explain to people, you know, you... If you're going to take a gram of cannabis oil a day, you maybe want to get diapers <laughs> because getting to the bathroom could be tricky. Um, you are so stoned. So the, the, that's, you know, the side effects depend on the doses. There, obviously, people get uh, high um, and different people have different attitudes to that. Most people don't want to be high all the time. Um Obviously, some people, that's their main objective in life, but that, that's fine too. Uh, but if you have cancer, um, one of the things you have to be careful of is, is that these higher doses can, um, I don't know how to put it, they can unmask latent psychological problems. Um, I, I, I think probably most common is the bipolar, latent bipolar disorder. And of course, we're talking psychiatry here, which is a, <clears throat> a thorny subject at the best of times. Uh, but I have definitely found people taking a high dose of oils have have um, the potential for pretty severe manic episodes. And when you dig back into family history, you may have find, for example, that they have a family history of bipolar, you know, or, or maybe in their youth they were treated with lithium for bipolar or something like that. So sometimes these high doses can unmask um, uh, psychological or psychiatric uh, problems. And also rapid withdrawal. Uh, you, can't, you can't just stop these very high doses because that too can precipitate a... a form of withdrawal problem um, which varies with individuals again but some some susceptible folk can become quite ill on uh, cessation of high dose cannabis therapy um, again partly partly the psychological uh, symptoms so uh, yeah I mean that's a brief answer anyway okay great well Thank you so much. Um, this was really interesting. How can my listeners find out more about you? Well, okay. Clinically, uh, I have a clinic website, which is just my name, uh, jonathantreasure.com. Um, writing a book on cannabis and cancer, and that is um, going to be an ebook in three parts. The first part's coming out literally right now, um, probably in the next two to three weeks. Uh, if you go to OncoHerb, O-N-C-O, H-E-R-B, OncoHerb on Facebook, you'll find out about the book. And you can actually grab a free chapter of the book at, it, at the book website, which is cannabisandcancer.oncoherb.com. So lots of different ways. 
I am on Twitter, but um, that's uh, with at Herbological is my Twitter handle. And um, yeah, look forward to um, meeting you out there.